This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here to bring you everything related to Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we're, of course, going to recap the Badger hoops. Uh, tough loss at East Lansing against the Michigan State Spartans. Michigan State looked to be you know, a team that kind of rebounded and found themselves after a really dreadful loss to Purdue. They looked uh, a lot better than what they did in that last game against the Badgers, but it happens, and thankfully Wisconsin has, has won a few games to to be able to afford a loss against a tough team like that. And then at the end, we're going to continue with our position previews, going to go into uh, the tight end position, obviously. Uh, a very reliable position, a, a very important position for Wisconsin football, so we're going to dive into both the recap uh, from 2019 and then preview the 2020 position for that spot. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Ready to talk a little hoops. You know, it's got a big... Uh swing of games here coming up this week we got basically from today until next week monday three games so a lot of badger hoops to to kind of catch up on in the next week and that'll be fun yeah absolutely a quick programming note just so you guys are aware we're going to preview the nebraska and purdue game in this episode simply because i uh, will not be able to record a second show this week i have a work meeting uh out of town from from Wednesday to Sunday, and they keep us pretty busy throughout that whole time. So we're just going to do one show this week, uh, and then we'll be back next week with a regular two show thing. So just so everybody's aware, we'll try and touch on everything important. But you know, with the uh, basketball season not being you know set in stone, we've got a little bit more flexibility, so it works out for us that way. But let's get into this game. Obviously, a, a 67 to 55 loss to Michigan State. You know, coming into this game, obviously Wisconsin had been playing really well, um, especially on the defensive end of the floor. Michigan State was coming off, you know, a really bad loss against Purdue, but they had some time off to kind of, you know, recuperate, figure some things out. And you know, Tom Izzo's squad is not going to struggle, you know, for for days on end and and not get things figured out. So, what did you kind of take from this uh, contest in East Lansing, Matt? Yeah, I, th- I think the big thing was the slow start. The Badgers really came out sluggish. Michigan State was hitting from all gears right away, jumped on the Badgers pretty quickly. Uh, Wisconsin only scored 20 points in the first half, did a nice job in the second half with 35 points, but that that first half hole that they kind of put themselves in, going in at the half down 15, and then really uh, not being able to close the gap outside of a a six where they got down to six at one point, it was was a hard watch for uh, most Badger fans, I would assume. The Badgers just couldn't kind of get anything going on the offensive end, especially in the first half, only shot 
21% from three-point line. And, you know, we've said over and over again, this isn't the best shooting Badger team of all time. But the defensive end at times was okay, but they also had times where Michigan State was able to dictate the pace, get out and transition and, and do what they wanted to against the Badgers, both on the outside and inside. Yeah, the first half was, you know, not the worst half of basketball we've seen from this Wisconsin team this season, but it it was probably up there. It's if you only score 20 points in 20 minutes, it's it's definitely a struggle. And obviously, it was really a struggle, you know, all game shooting the ball. You touched on the, you know, shooting 35% from the field, 21% from 3, 4 of 19. It's not like they were, you know, only missed a couple threes. When you start missing 15 threes in a game and you're only getting four to fall, for a team like this that that relies sometimes a little heavily on the three-point basket, it's it's a make-or-break situation, and, and obviously it was a break against Michigan State, but it's 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 not a you know a surprise really for me. They're, this team has showed you know stretches where they can go into these scoreless thing, and that's kind of a Wisconsin basketball staple where sometimes you're going to have you know scoreless four, five, six, hopefully not seven, but sometimes seven-minute stretches and. It can come back to bite you, especially when you're taking on, you know, really, you know, a team that was struggling. But Michigan State's one of the most talented teams in the country. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, Michigan State was one of the uh, leading favorites to make it to the Final Four, really make a, a deep run. The Michigan State bench really killed Wisconsin. Wisconsin's bench had been doing so good these past, you know, six or seven games since Micah Potter came back, and Michigan State dropped 18 off the bench on the Badgers, a big reason for uh, Wisconsin's uh, struggles. I thought the Badgers in the second half outplayed Michigan State, but the they were only able to chip away at three points at that deficit. But if you just leave such a huge hole after that first first half, it just it's it seems insurmountable, if, especially if you can't get anything going on the offensive end. They only shot 29% from in the first half, 11% from three-point line. So it, it, that, that's about as bad as it's going to get, I would hope. And uh, granted, we've probably seen worse in our uh, Wisconsin fandom, but I, that's one of those things where if you come out and you can't do that, some of the guys looked a little shell shocked uh, to to see what the Breslin Center was bringing, uh, and and they just weren't able to kind of rebound. Yeah, yeah, no, th- I mean that is a tough place to play. It was pretty loud from what I saw on TV. That you know, that's that's no easy place, and obviously Wisconsin every time they've gone there it, for the last few years, it, it's kind of been a struggle for them. So. At the end of the day, it wasn't pretty. You know, obviously, offensively, the only real highlight of you know of the of the group was was Nate Reavers. He you know put together 19 seven boards. Really was like I said, pretty much all you can take from this offensive effort was his impressive game. So, uh, what did you make of his performance last Friday? I thought he played well. I thought he was more aggressive on the offensive end. Put up 15 shots. That's that's the honey hole for him. He's got to be in that kind of 10 to 15 shot range in order to, to have this offense humming because he is, I think, their best uh, scoring threat outside of sometimes Kobe King when he's able to get inside. But Wisconsin in that first half was was kind of re- reluctant to really go towards the basket. Instead, we're uh, settling for for jump shots, and that's not going to win you games. I thought Nate Reavers did a good job of trying to take it inside. Um, also hit on the outside shot, uh, made three-pointers. Po- three so I thought he played phenomenal in that game, especially against some some good uh, Michigan State bigs. You know, Xavier Tillman is a really talented player. I, I think Wisconsin came in, you know, 10-point dogs, and it came out about the same way. So I, I don't think it's anything to really uh, – 
um, be upset with the Badgers on. You know, they haven't won there since 2004. So for, for Nate Reavers to go out there, have a solid game, it's definitely something to keep notice of because if him and Micah Potter can, can uh, be, you know, a, a nice dynamic duo, they can really make a deep run if they wanted to in this conference. What did you make of, obviously – when you look at the stat sheet, you know the last few games, Demetric Trice has been pretty much non-existent. Uh, I don't think he scored in the last two contests. Really wasn't getting any rebounds or assists either. But this time he came out, you know, put together you know, five rebounds, four assists, nine points, which isn't anything to get overly excited about, but a lot better than what you know he's been this last you know stretch. He's he's had a pretty cold stretch. So what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I thought he did a did a better job of trying to impact the offensive game a little more. You know, the four assists he had were, were big. He's been kind of good at distributing the ball. I think it's still coming down to he is a very streaky shooter. He's still kind of holding on to the end of last season where he was really ice cold from the three-point arc. We, we saw him drop 31. A lot of that was because he was hot from three-point land. And, you know, the beginning of last season, he was, he was scorching hot at almost uh, 50% from – from uh, behind the arc, but he's got to get back to that to where it it can, he needs to have a game love like that every once in a while to make him a relevant player on the offense, because there's really not a whole lot behind him. Trevor Anderson for what he brings to the table. He he's just not athletic enough to hang with most um, big time guards in the big 10. You got a guy like Cassius Winston, who's just a dude um, didn't really impact the game nearly as, as much because of what, uh, Demetric Tice did on the defensive end, forcing him to five turnovers. But I thought this was a, a nice step forward for him, and it's hopefully uh, indicative of what he could start bringing to the table. What did you think of him? Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely, like you said, a step in the right direction. Obviously, Demetric Trice, is, we've seen this throughout his career. He's hes definitely the best defined as streaky, where if if he gets hot and he gets playing well, he's, he's a lethal part of this offense, can really change the dynamic of the Badgers, especially on the offensive end. And he, he, I don't, he probably doesn't get enough credit for what he does on defense. We obviously, we look at his offensive numbers and, and forget that he's usually matched up a pretty, against a pretty talented guard coming at you from the other side, you know, like a Cassius Winston, who was, was pretty much held in check, you know, in terms of scoring the basketball, he only had six points, but it's, it's definitely an improvement from where he was at. Cause he was pretty much non-existent in these last few games. So to get him stepping in the right direction and maybe, you know, next, you know, maybe tomorrow night against Nebraska, he, he adds on a little bit, adds on a little bit. If he can get it going, I think it really brings a nice dynamic to this offense from, from the guard position, because right now you're really only scoring with Nate Reavers as a big and Micah Potter as a big and, and Kobe King more as a, you know, a attacking wing. So if you can get some solid guard play out of Demetric Trice, it's going to make a world of difference come, you know, down this you know Big Ten run and and into you know, March when you when you've got some tough teams to take on. Yeah, because right now he's he's playing for um, you know chopping rights for next year because Lauren Bowman is a certified player and he's coming in and he's going to be uh, in a spot to to get reps potentially at at the point guard position or even the two guard position and because of the lack of depth at that at uh, the guard spots so he he's got to put together a, a better season going forward here to make sure that hey this is this is his spot moving forward in my eyes yeah it's going to be interesting to watch kind of how this team just keeps going and, and how he takes a step forward because he's going to be an important one. I know 
uh, like you said, there's not a lot of, on the bench behind him where if a guy doesn't pick it up, that you can just sub him in. Dimitri Trice is going to be on the floor for some quality minutes. So to get him trending in the right direction, both for the rest of this year and next year, is going to be important. What did you make of the defensive effort? Because, you know, holding Michigan State to only 67 points, holding Cassius Winston under 10, you would think you had a pretty good shot to win if you started making some shots. But once again, I think the defense is, again, the way that this team is going to win. And despite the loss, it seemed like a pretty good defensive effort overall. Yeah, it, it wasn't the, their, uh, you know, calling card guys who really killed them. You know, Xavier Tillman getting 15 points. That's just what he does. Cassius Winston only getting six. That was that was pretty good. It was some of their younger, um, less experienced guys like Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts who really hurt them. You know, Rocket Watts came off the bench and hit three for five from three point line. He's one of the better true freshmen in the league, but but they've got to stick with him. If you know, he's a big time shooter, you've got to be cognizant of that. And that's the one area that I think that they struggled was they sometimes allowed Michigan state to get in transition. You're kind of in uh, havoc land and trying to run around and, and help one another out on defense. And it leads to those open shots for a guy who's, who's going to nail them. So I think the Badgers did a good job when they were able to keep Michigan state in their, um, in just their half court offense. But when they got to uh, transition time, it, it, it hurt them because even if Michigan state wasn't hitting on the transition on the break with a, a layup or an easy shot, they were getting great looks that they would pass up on in to get into their half court and where, where they would then start being able to pick apart the defense. Yeah. And a lot of that credit I think goes to Tom Mizzo as well. He's, he's played against Wisconsin for years. He knows that what, you know, the Bo Ryan and now Greg Gard system is going to be. And he knows that, you know, if if they get into the half court defensively and for you know Michigan State's offense, that gives the advantage to Wisconsin. So, you know, Tom Izzo knows and they had days to prepare to to push the basketball against Wisconsin because they are more athletic than the Badgers. They, you know, Michigan State's a top program in the country. They're probably always going to be more athletic than the Badgers. So, so getting out and running and scoring is, is going to be a way for them to attack with, without really putting you know, too much out there in, in terms of their offense. They can just get the ball and go. So that'll be something to watch for as the Badgers get ready for Michigan State here again in a couple of weeks because it, it's not a long break. I know they've got a, a tough little stretch outside of that, but then they get Michigan State uh, back at home in the Kohl's Center. So it'll be interesting how that dynamic shifts from this first contest over to that one. Yeah, and what's nice is the next three matchups aren't teams that are really going to try to push tempo too much. Nebraska has really just struggled at all things involving basketball this year. Um, but Purdue has is, is been really up and down. Iowa is a team that's surging a little bit. I think they've won three straight, and they play them next Monday. So I, it, I think it would be nice if the Badgers could to uh, take care of um, – work here than these next three games you got two of them on the road if you can take two out of three or even three out of three I think you're in a really good spot and coming in with some momentum against Michigan State again yeah yeah this this next stretch is as important as this last stretch was and that's what I was going to ask you about obviously when you were when we did our preview of the season we looked at this you know four game stretch of you know Ohio State Illinois Maryland and Michigan State and we said this is going to be a an important stretch they were able to get, you know, obviously a win against Ohio State, a big win against Maryland, lost to Illinois, and and the Penn State win, and then lost to Michigan State. So you really got three of the two, which is you know, better than I, I think we probably expected, you know, not not too long ago. But how important was it to get this this little five game stretch 
out in, in on a positive note, winning three of the five, but also, you know, how important is it to now turn the page and, and make sure you take care of teams that you probably should beat? Yeah, I think I think that uh, stretch was really crucial, but I do think this next stretch, now that you're looking and you're kind of seeing the what the middle of the pack of the Big Ten is, is you know you've got to beat a Nebraska team who's at near the bottom. I think they're like seven and nine on the year. You got Purdue. Um, you know they're middling right now. They other than that big win over Michigan State, they really haven't done much. I think they've lost like three out of four or something. And then you've got Iowa, who I like I said is going to be really tough. I think that's going to be the the toughest game of the three. But I think. Uh, they've got to be able to beat Nebraska and Purdue so that that Iowa game you're going in and, and thinking, hey, we got a good shot at this. Let's see if we can get a W um, at uh, uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena because it's that's also a, not an easy place to play. They're going to be fired up for that game um, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that one's going to be obviously a fun one to watch. And anytime Wisconsin goes to Iowa, it seems to be a tough one uh, that comes down to the wire. A lot of times it seems like the Badgers are down 5-6 and – points late and and find a way to squeak it out at the end but it's going to be interesting to note let's get into a little bit of these next two games obviously we've touched on nebraska i think they've lost to four or five but they did beat iowa a couple weeks ago at home so once again you you can't really take any team in this conference lightly although nebraska is probably up there or down there i should say with northwestern as as one of the less strong teams in the league. I know when Nebraska just dropped one to Northwestern not too long ago. So they're definitely in the basement of the Big Ten, but still a tough team. What do you make of this Cornhusker team? I mean, they're they're pretty guard-laden. I think if the Badgers are able to uh, shut down Cam Mack, I think they'll be in a good spot. I, I just they don't bring nearly the athletes that a lot of teams bring to the table. They're recruiting um, to try to refill this roster. They were good for a few years. Hoiberg's now there trying to kind of just really fill the cupboard back up. But I mean, they, they've gotten, they just got beat by Northwestern and that's usually not a great look. They, they also lost to North Dakota and um, you know, a team like, you know, um, Creighton is it's, it's just, they don't have a great resume. I don't really worry too much about Nebraska. Purdue, on the other hand, uh, is is a little bit better. I think that they're going to be a team that's going to be a little tougher to to handle just because of their ability to kind of make things happen inside and out. Travion Williams is one of the the better big men in the in the league. He's kind of slimmed down a little bit while also kind of keeping some of his explosiveness. So I think the Badgers are in for a tough stretch, but I don't think it's uh, not doable for the Badgers. Yeah, I think this Nebraska game is going to be one that. You know, obviously you're back at home, you're in the Kohl Center. I think it'd be really nice and, and a confidence builder for this team to to come out, continue to play the solid defense that they've played, but to really knock down some shots and maybe blow a team out. You know, obviously it's hard to blow a team out in the Big Ten in general and in conference play, and really they haven't done that in conference other than the Indiana game. Every Big Ten contest has seemed to be tight you know, across the league, but I think for this team, it would be nice to come out tomorrow night. You know, I think it starts at eight, I believe, right? Another late tip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Badgers are getting crushed with these late tips. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, it'll be, it'll be. I think it'd be beneficial for them to just come out and knock down some shots, put this game away early, and and then turn the calendar or turn the page to this Purdue game because it it really would benefit them to to gain some confidence in their shooting because they haven't. Even though they've won some games, it's been mostly on the defensive end. 
Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more, man. What do you think of, obviously, we, we touched on the Purdue game a little bit. Obviously, Matt Painter's squad is, is always tough, and at Purdue is always a tough place to play. What have you made of them this season so far? Because obviously they just did beat Michigan State, but they've lost, I think, three or four outside of that. So what, what kind of is the dynamic of the Boilermakers right now? You know, I think they're a team that has really lost to the teams that they're supposed to lose to other outside of um, that uh, Michigan State game. Like they lost to Maryland, they lost to Michigan, lost to Illinois, but then they also go out and, and they beat Virginia. So it's there as much as people have said that Wisconsin has been Jekyll and Hyde this season, Purdue is like the fitting de- definition of it. They blew out uh, a Virginia team who, you know, they're a year away from winning the national title in Michigan state. They, they gave Michigan state their biggest loss in like 30 years or something like that, winning by 29. So I, I, I think Purdue is just, if they're up, they're going to be tough. If, if they're coming in and not ready for it, they're going to be a team that you could walk all over. I think with uh, Purdue will be up for that game. Uh, and I think Wisconsin will have a dog fight in them, but I do think Wisconsin will have a good shot at, at getting that victory if they're able to play really good defense. And I really do think that if they can stop Travion Williams, they're going to have a good shot just because of um, he, he's a very good athlete and he's, he just kind of throws his weight around in the paint. And uh, Nate Reavers has gotten much better on the defensive end with that. And to have two bigs now that they can run up against mm-hmm. Travion Williams and Matt Harms, I think you'll see a lot of Micah Potter and Nate Reavers on the court together because of that. Yeah, that might be the first, you know, big showing of, of quality minutes with those two worked in there together. And that's kind of what I was thinking, too. When you look at Purdue's roster, that's going to be the you know the spot that is, is interesting to watch, you know, the big men versus big men. And then when you turn to Iowa, that's going to be interesting, too, because obviously they've got probably the, the player of the year in the conference so far in Luca Garza. So some some big man battles that'll be fun to watch. And obviously Wisconsin. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say they have the upper hand against Iowa, but when you've got two really good big guys that can work against him, that's going to be important. But what do you? What would you say? You know, this this three game stretch before Michigan State, two and one. Would you be happy with that, or would you really like? Obviously, you want to go three and zero, but would you take two and one in terms of going into that Spartan game? I think. I think. Anybody who's watched the Badgers this year should probably be okay with them taking two out of the three. I don't think this Badger team is going to sweep the three. I think that would be huge for them, and I think that they could because they have the ability to do it. I just think that because two of these three games are on the road, I think the Nebraska game, I would I would be shocked if they lost that one. They would really have to come in and lay an egg at the Kohl Center for that to happen. Students are, are back, so I, I don't see it being something to where there's not going to be some energy in the crowd for that game. Um, but if they can split that uh, Purdue and Iowa uh, matchups on the road, you know, and they're pretty quick pretty quick turnaround from Friday, Monday um, to be able to get that would be, would be huge for the season because that Michigan state game is going to have some serious juice and uh, a lot of firepower. Cause I know I've got friends coming in for that game who are, who are excited to, to see it. And um, I know that that's going to be a packed coal center for Michigan state. Oh yeah. I mean, you think of seasons past the, the Saturday afternoon at the Kohl Center and, you know, in February, it always seems like the Badgers come out and slay one of these big teams in the Big Ten. Uh, so I, I'm fully expecting the Kohl Center to bring the energy and to be going into that game 2-1, and one, you know, to, to possibly uh, be on upset alert for to beat Michigan State before going on the road 
uh, to Minnesota, I, I think would be really beneficial. But it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And obviously it'll depend on which Wisconsin team shows up and, and if shots start falling. But I think, like you said, any Badger fan uh, realistically has to be able to take two and one in this stretch as you go into that Michigan State game. Anything else you want to touch on basketball or else we'll uh, get into the tight end position preview? No, I think that sums it up pretty pretty good. All righty. Guys, we're going to get into the tight end position preview next after a couple quick ad reads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, guys, it's time to talk a little football as we continue our position preview for the 2019 recap of the 2019 scene, kind of an overview of the tight end position as a whole, similar to what we've done already with the quarterback position and the safety position. And we'll we'll continue to hammer away at these and, and just kind of have a general talk on each position. But obviously, Wisconsin, you think about it, tight end has, has been a really key position for them in the you know last decade plus you think of all the greats that have came through Wisconsin and and really had productive careers Jake Ferguson is really the next one in that line but it's a position that didn't seem to get the normal usage that you get out of a Wisconsin offense obviously I think Jake Ferguson would have liked a bigger season and I think we kind of maybe expected a bigger season and and part of that is obviously the emergence of Quintez Cephas and Jack Cohn having that connection but Matt, what did you make of the tight end position as a whole for the Badgers this past season? Yeah, I thought Jake Ferguson did a nice job, came into the year, had that broken thumb, and kind of had to deal with that for the first first few games. Really didn't seem like he got totally comfortable until later in the year as he was starting to get that brace off of his hand. But then you also look at it, like you said, with, with Cephas getting so much attention, so many attempts, um, it kind of took away from the need for Jake Ferguson to have to carry a heavier load in the, the passing game. I think that'll change next season. Um, because he is uh, such a nice target. He's really athletic. Uh, he has that big six foot five, you know, 250 pound um, size to kind of work uh, against a, a linebacker or a safety because he is, he's better or uh, quicker than a linebacker and he's just bigger than a safety. So he's got that, that nice pairing um, and a really nice hands. So I think overall he had a really good year. The Badgers had to really kind of cobble together um, any semblance of a blocking tight end because of so many injuries. You know, I mean, they even tried to bring in Xander Neville for a sixth year because of because of all the injuries that happened in fall camp. And it was kind of the walking wounded for a long time there. So I, I thought overall the tight end position did a good job uh, this season, um, all things considered, um, given the all the injury concerns that happened. 
Yeah, it was a position that obviously early in the season was was a pretty big concern when you looked at the injuries. Obviously, we talked about Xander Neville. That was an excitement for a brief moment, and then he, he had to get shut down. And then you, you look at obviously Luke lost Luke Benchwall early in the season, so it was a position that you know the the coaching staff, while maybe they didn't get a lot of usage out of Jake Ferguson, it was it was a position that was banged up where. There were probably points where where they didn't think they could really use a tight end because they didn't have uh, a body there that they trusted. And you you talked about Jake Ferguson's injury in the early season. You could tell that that was hampering his game a little bit. And overall, it just created a a roster that that just couldn't rely on the tight end position year in and year out. And I think that's the difference between Badger teams of the past and this one is that you always had a, a couple tight ends that you could work in and rely on and, and just given injuries, they just, I don't really think we're able to in 2019. Yeah. I mean, they're, they were hit by so many injuries. I mean, you look at it, you, you brought up Luke Benshaw, Xander Neville was also a guy who came in because of the injuries and was, went to a career ending injury as well. Wasn't able to kind of get things cleaned up in that knee. And then you, you look at another guy, you know, Gabe Lloyd, who was a, a junior walk on had, was really somebody who had done some nice things in spring ball. And then he wasn't uh, available um, starting in fall camp or for the entire season. You had a couple uh, true freshmen coming in who, who just weren't really ready. I think Hayden Rucci, he just kind of couldn't uh, shake an injury that happened to him early in fall camp. Clay Cundiff also got banged up too, but he saw a little bit of action at times. Um, You know, I think neither of those guys were really ready to, to take on that, inline tight end option where Wisconsin usually has somebody that can just really move mountains and have a good road grader and they didn't have it. So I think they really settled on, Hey, we're going to go three wide receivers. We've got three, uh, a stable of really four wide receivers that they trusted. So it wasn't a stretch to have three receivers out there, throw another tight end in there with Jake Ferguson, who I think actually got a lot better at blocking this season because he was kind of forced to, um, but the season overall, you know, you saw Cormac Sampson come in and play in line for a, a good chunk of the season because of the injuries. And I thought he did a good job. But I know the staff's also really high on him to possibly be playing along the offensive line. So, I mean, I think I think the influx of talent coming in is going to help. And the redshirt season for for Rucci and Cundiff will help. But overall, they've got they've got the talent. It's just they need to get seasoned and be to be prepared for the big the rigors of the Big Ten. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you talked about it already. Obviously, Jake Ferguson got a lot better blocking really because he was the only guy that was able to work in. But when you think about Wisconsin teams of the past, there were there were times where they would work in two, three tight ends to to really help in the running game. So it's not really a position where if you're not ready, you know, like those young guys that that weren't really ready, you can't just throw them out there because it's not just you, you know, stock blocking like a receiver or running your route it's it's moving around it's motions it's pulling there's a lot of stuff that goes into the tight end position at Wisconsin that the fans probably don't think about but it's not just go out there and and run around or run an out and and catch the ball at Wisconsin a lot more goes into the tight end position than I think people realize is there anyone obviously we we've talked to you know uh Cam Large and uh Cole Dakovich who's probably at spring ball and coming into this class at the tight end position. But who are some other guys that, you know, on top of those two obviously coming in, but 
really a, a young depth chart. Who are some guys that uh, you're maybe excited to see uh, this time or come next season into spring and fall practice? Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited to see what uh, those two redshirt freshmen do in terms of being able to better grasp the offense. And, you know, they, they're getting to a point where weight wise, they're they're in a good spot to, to put out there and be able to be on the field. So maybe it will allow a guy like Cormac Sampson to to swing back to the offensive line where I think he's got the measurables to be a really, really talented player. Um, but then I'm also really excited to see Jack Eschenbach. He, he's a guy who he runs like a deer out there. I mean, he's also much smaller. I think he's like 6'5", 220. So he, in, in at least in fall camp, he was. I'm guessing he's probably added some weight in that point and really going to focus in on that on winter conditioning. But if they could get him up to, you know, 240 or so and really just allow him to use his athleticism, he's a walk-on. But he is he's very quick, really sure-handed, really crisp route runner. He's a guy who is similar to Ferguson in that he's really good at that deep out, the intermediate passing game, can stretch the field against the linebacker or safety. But the nuances of blocking, the nuances of uh, making sure that you know where you're supposed to be at all times as a redshirt freshman weren't necessarily there. But he did see some time this season. I think he's a guy who really could could break out and get some get some reps against some scholarship guys in a lot of ways because of what he can do in the passing game um, it's if he can add the weight. Yeah, that's the guy that I was going to touch on, too. I mean. We, we saw him uh, in fall practice, and I was just enamored with the way he could run. But you said, you know, a tight end, he's going to have to get bigger. And he probably has. Obviously, they've got a pretty, you know, strict regimen that they're on, both lifting and, and dieting to put on those pounds. But his frame, you know, at 6'6", like you said, 6'6", 6'5", 240, would be a, a nice athletic tight end to have, you know, as a pass catcher. And the thing about, again, the tight end position, if you've got guys that you can work in uh, with depth as your maybe run-blocking tight ends and your receiving tight ends, it makes a big difference. So you didn't really have that this past year with, with Jake Ferguson kind of having to do it all. So it's going to be interesting to see how, now that you've got hopefully a healthy group coming into spring and fall practice, how they'll be able to transition and, and get some of those guys some reps and and hopefully have a, a much stronger overall tight end room than they had this past season. Yeah, because I think Eschenbach could be used kind of as a as a slot H back. Um, just if he doesn't, if he isn't able to to get the weight, because he can be dynamic uh, as a pass catcher, and he is. I mean, like I, I'm not kidding. That dude can run, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you got I think Koldakovich, You know, given his basketball pedigree, that he you know he played basketball. Before, a long time before he started getting into football really these past two seasons. So I think he's going to be a guy to watch as well, not for next year. I think he's going to definitely be a, a kid that red shirts, but down the road, he, he might be a nice uh, guy to slide in almost very similar in a lot of ways to Jake Ferguson and his career arc. Um, and then Cam large, I think is going to be a really good inline blocker can also catch the ball, but, but I think he's, he's a road grader. He's a guy that can really get nasty and, and, and lead block for guys and uh i think that that'll be big to have that pairing of you know kind of a a standard h back and a standard inline tight end to kind of work with uh with those guys both coming in yeah it's going to be a position that overall obviously they got through 2019 and, and kind of scraped by with with what they had and obviously jake ferguson's season kind of suffered a little bit because of that only 407 yards and a couple scores but i think coming into 2020 that 
hopefully each player develops and takes the next step, that this tight end room is going to be an exciting one and, and hopefully not a position of concern like it was this past season. But it's going to be a position that has has some talent there, but now it's time to see it from some other unfamiliar names. You know, if, Unless you follow the team closely, you maybe not have heard of some of the guys that we talked on, but they're going to be impact players uh, as this season goes on next year in 2020 because you you need more from the tight end position, and I think they're going to get it uh, next season. So it's going to be an exciting group to watch. Would you be surprised if Jake Ferguson leads the team in reception and in yards next year? I don't think I would be really simply because, you know, we talked about it already. Quintez Cephas and Jack Cohn clearly had that connection uh, this season. And, and it definitely, I think, took away some, some you know, catches from Ferguson. I think if, it depends on probably who the quarterback is and how those relationships develop. But when you think of tight ends of the past, you know, Jacob Patterson, who, who was a huge tight end and, you know, Owen Daniels of years past, these were the guys that, that were huge in the passing game. So if I was coming into next season, I would, if you were saying, you know, you had to put money down on who was going to lead, uh, I would probably put it on Ferguson, just given his talent and his size overall. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, he's he's the second leading receiver the past two seasons. So I, I think, you know, one's, one uh, last year behind A.J. Taylor and then this year behind Cephas. So I think he's in store for potentially a bigger role in 2020. You know, he's a guy who I, going into the season, people kind of thought, hey, is this kid going to be putting his name in as a potential early uh, exit guy for the NFL? Mm-hmm. But he, you know, that never matriculated. But he, he, he had 450, 450 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, like you said, as a as a redshirt freshman this year, slight dip. You know, he's still maintaining his his average of over 12 yards a catch, which is solid for a tight end. Um, I think I wouldn't be surprised though if he gets closer to that 600 yard yard marker and maybe you know five touchdowns, six touchdowns, which I think would really help the offense and also help the wide receivers, so that a guy like Danny Davis can be more of a deep threat instead of that under under reliant guy um, compared to what he was last year, where he was more of a possession receiver. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch when you think about, obviously, this offense lost, you know, some big weapons in Jonathan Taylor and Quintez Cephas. A guy like Jake Ferguson is probably, you know, the prime example of, of who's going to fill in that role as your offensive, you know, main weapon or, or superstar. I think if you're looking at it, it's it's probably, you know, that, that group of Danny Davis or Jake Ferguson. And obviously the Badgers are going to need a running back to step up and, and take a bulk of the carries because that's just Wisconsin. But I think coming into you know 2020, Jake Ferguson is going to be a guy to to really watch on as the the primary target for Wisconsin. But going to be a lot of fun. Anything else uh, football related that you want to touch on before we uh, cut loose here? Um, Aaron Crickshank uh, officially uh, went ahead and committed to Rutgers. Kind of a big thing. He was just homesick, wanted to get home, so that kind of sheds a little bit more light on to why he's making his decision. He's going to have to sit out. Uh, a season um, so best of luck to him moving forward except for when he's playing Wisconsin um, but then uh, behind that there's a you know there's a commit that's coming in where nobody's really totally sure who it is uh, I think the staff's the only people who actually know that one um, but that's going to be exciting to see um, you know maybe we do have some fireworks going down the stretch here before signing day in early February yeah, both of those were obviously interesting to to try and you know monitor and watch. Uh, Cruikshank one I don't really think was too surprising for for people who kind of followed it. Uh, I think once he 
announced that he was going to enter the transfer portal. A lot of people kind of, you know, I know on our staff, we all kind of seem to think Rutgers just simply because uh, it sounded like he wanted to get back closer to home. And, you know, you totally get that. It's hard to to be away from, from where you grew up and your family and things like that. So, like you said, we wish him the best of luck. And then the mystery recruit, obviously, we were talking about it in our Slack, you know, channel and, and, and that. It, it sounds like it's pretty hush-hush and tight. We were, I know we were scouring the message boards trying to figure out who it was, and it didn't sound like there was uh, a clear cut uh, you know, that anybody knew who it would be, but certainly exciting. Yeah, and, and also um, walk-on punter that, that, uh, that is joining the, the fold, um, and that's not who the new commitment is. So you, he was kind of from your neck of the woods. Did you, were you able to talk with your uh, sources at uh, Dubuque? Yeah, he uh, he went to the University of Buke right here in my backyard, which is where I went to school. And I talked to them a little bit, and uh, it sounded like he's a pretty strong-legged kid. I mean, you look at a picture of him. Obviously, I was looking around, just you know, scouring his Twitter because we were just trying to get info on him. Uh, looks like a pretty jack kid. They, they said uh, he's pretty strong and, and got a big leg. And you know, I know Owen touched on it that he faced them when Whitewater took on Dubuque uh, early in their season. He said he was the best punter that they faced, and when you obviously you don't see a lot of highlight tapes, but I I was told he was the special teams player of the week a couple times for here uh, in UD. So to to get a punter, obviously Anthony Lottie, you know, was going to be gone, need a replacement. I think he's probably an exciting uh, one to watch as the football season gets underway. Yeah, we'll see if he can can become immediately eligible because he is from Wisconsin. If there's extenuating circumstances, I doubt it, but you never know. Um, in terms of, of that, you know, it's it's a it's a crapshoot with the NCAA and their waiver system. So um, if I had to put money down, I would guess Wisconsin gets screwed, but who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely news going on right now, and as we get closer to to uh, the actual signing day, there'll be more that will matriculate out. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it's going to be the only episode of the week because uh, I've got to go down and, and do some work out of state, and I'll be kept pretty busy. So we'll be back with you guys on Monday. We'll obviously recap the you know the Nebraska and Purdue games, and then depending on when we record, it'll be right around that Iowa game. So I don't know what uh, we'll do for that, but. Make sure to tune in to the episode next week. Uh, enjoy a little break from us if you need one. Hopefully not, but uh, if you do, you, you've got it right here. So thanks again for listening, guys. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Wisconsin.